0: And welcome to the Ski Racing Podcast with me, Ed Drake. Joining me again this week is former racer turned coach and winter sports expert, Ben Clark. The racing has become thick and fast over the festive period. Whilst we were away, the men have raced in Salva Hinterglem Madonna di Campiglia before Christmas, and then on to speed events in Bormio before the New Year's Day City event in Oslo, whilst the women raced in Val Gardena and Courchevel before Christmas, then Semmering and also the Oslo City event. Ben, first up, before we get our Dave Riding Flags out, let's talk about the racing pre-Christmas. Cast your mind back to Salback Hinterglem.
1: I really want to get my Dave Riding Flag straight out, but we can, we can hold on for a couple more minutes. Well, on their last podcast before uh, Christmas, we spoke about how Marcel Herscher is almost invincible. And what did he do in the very next race? He went and came sixth, which is uh, one of his worst results in a very long time. So it was really surprising to see him do that. But obviously... Uh, Jan Kranic with the, with the win, which was a real turn-up for the books.
0: Yeah, I think it was Slovenia's first Giant Slalom win in, I think it was 37 years, something like that. Over 30 years, anyway. And he skied amazingly well. Like The conditions were terrible, weren't they? they? were. It was warm, there were big holes. I mean, it was even worse for the first run of the Slalom the following day. But even in the Giant Slalom, there were holes everywhere. And it was like a minute and a half long as well. These guys were exhausted. It, it was. There were lots of people
1: panting, collapsing and you know showing to the camera just how exhausted they were in the finish area and that's you know a really long GS race and when the snow is not giving you anything back and every time you're driving down your feet are sinking into it like you're in powder or slush it's it's an absolute nightmare I've got a few bad memories of races like that yeah, uh, from, from my racing days but really good to see Krametch racing well and, and also like Merard getting a place on the podium he's, he's someone we've talked about a couple of times as as just a beautiful skier skis so it was such great touch it's not surprising he was on a podium in on a a day when the uh, slope was so difficult to ski
0: yeah it was one of those days that the whole podium is something that we haven't seen for a long time Cranjet taking the win Mayar taking second and Matteo Favre taking third on his comeback from injury he's not been the sharp end for, for a little while as well either but then Hirscher, worst result since 2016, sixth place. I mean, I'd take take my worst result being sixth in a World Cup any day of the week. And Christofferson, eighth. I mean, it shows how hard the racing was that day. And I think the conditions did play a big part in it. And also that they'd not really raced in Saalbach at all. It was a difficult slope to get used to. It was quite a steep start, didn't it? Then there was that big roll, sort of five or six gates in. Which caught out a few of the races and then uh, and just it being long and they travelled all across from Italy, so they've done five hours driving to Italy, raced in Italy for two days, and then driven four hours back to um back to Italy for Madonna anyway. So it's been a tough schedule before Christmas.
1: It was the we said a couple of times just how many races they were having to fit in, and although it's good that they can reschedule the races, I think you're starting to see it take its effect on, on the likes of Herscher and Christofferson because even though they might be uh, traveling in as much luxury as possible is still a lot to ask of them, and your legs will start to feel it. in In some ways, I was a little bit disheartened for Christofferson that he couldn't take advantage of Herscher finally not winning a race. Uh, because he's really opening out a big lead in the in the overall and both technical disciplines now and Christofferson really could have done with a, a podium to, mm. to try and steal those extra points to get in front of uh, or at least close the gap to Hirscher.
0: But then uh, in the slalom, it was business as usual for Hirscher taking the win, uh, Mayar taking second and Christofferson managing to find a little bit of form again, finding himself on the podium He did. That was, uh, as you
1: mentioned earlier, again, horrible conditions to race in really soft on the first run. I believe there was quite a big delay before the second run after some work on the slope to try and get it to freeze a bit. Lots of chemicals going down, lots of hosing, doing anything they could to try and get the snow a bit more solid. And it, it
0: appeared to work a little bit.
1: Um, but still looked horrible condition. for I mean, it was, it was
0: 100 times better than that first run. There was big holes. It, you know, even after the top seven had gone down, the, the piece had already gone. And so, yeah, second run, that was when I was doing Eurosport commentary and we were getting live footage, which, as I've shown before, it doesn't go on TV, and it had the course workers with a fireman's hose on full blast, just painting the slope in water, then chucking salt on it. We were worried that it was too little too late, but actually... Give them their due. Amazing to turn that around from those horrendous conditions on the first run to then make the slope work for the second run. Dave, at this point of the season, really struggling. Twenty third uh, at the end of that day.
1: Yeah, it was it was it was tough watching Dave. He was very. You could tell how frustrated he was with the performance um, on on both runs, and he posted straight afterwards on 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 social media as well, saying that he he just didn't have it on on the day. And I was beginning to get a little bit worried that with the performances he'd put in, he just didn't look like he had the confidence he had a year ago and two years ago. Obviously, since then, we know that's that's kind of turned around a bit. But at the time, I was starting to worry that perhaps the equipment change wasn't working as well as we'd hoped. And it was kind of sapping his confidence a bit, but obviously still finishing in the points is, is, is always useful. But when you're looking for podiums and, and, and top 10s, 23rd is a bit of a shock to the system.
0: Yeah, You're exactly right. We had everybody, all of us sitting at home, questioning this change, questioning this move from a ski that he was you know, podiumed on and, and yeah. very comfortably inside the top 15 on multiple occasions last year to then... Switching to Dina Star, which I think had a lot of people scratching our heads about why that happened because when you when you find a ski or find a brand or whatever that you're that you're in tune with to then have a big move i mean it 's a great time to do it year after the games if you 're going to switch you want to do it early on so you 've got a big build up to the the pinnacle of our sport, but it did have a lot of people scratching our minds, and we know now because so a bit you know perfect decision for a great decision <laughs> and, uh, uh, but at the time it had obviously us questioning it and. I'm sure that would have been going through Dave's mind as well. Uh, and then fast forward to sort of 48, 72 hours to the Madonna slalom and set the scene. This is this is Dave's last chance to qualify for the city events where he's had his like fourth place and he skis very well in the city events. And the pressure on his shoulders to perform because at the start of Madonna... They wasn't coming to Oslo. Even
1: at the end of the first run, it looked to be the similar kind of form continuing, being as far back as 27th. As I, was, I watched the first run and thought when the, a lot of the coverage cut away, he was kind of middle of the of the table. I think it was 17th or so when, when the coverage cut away before there was an immense charge from a lot of the back of the field. And to see Dave only just get in the second run. know He
0: only made the second run by
1: 600th. Yeah, to see him only just in there, I, I kind of watched that run. And just went, just some, Something's just not quite right. There's something missing from his skiing. He looks to be... Almost taking every run, not not steady, but just really not cutting solid. It, loose. it was solid, wasn't it? That, yeah,
0: we're getting used to seeing that from Dave. This solid, you know, he he's a, a wonderful skier to watch. Tactically, into you know when it's difficult, he is very stable. You sort of don't see Dave DNFing that often. Um, and I was speaking to his coach, one of his coaches, Jai, before the race and Jai was telling me how quick he's been in training and how everything's going right they're still you still finding their feet with the skis and, and which skis to use in in different conditions but you know us sitting at home watching it on tv haven't seen it yet so we're itching and hoping and praying that we're going to see it sneaking in by 600s smashing the second run quickest on the second run finding himself finishing in fourth and booking himself a ticket to Oslo one run has changed that man's season. And it's amazing how 50 seconds worth of slalom skiing has turned, his, turned the, the season and his year around.
1: It, it really has. And watching that second run, you could see something was different. I, by no means did I think he would end up making the, the leap up the leaderboard that he did. But when he did it, I watched that run. I thought, you know what, that could be good enough for top fifteen. Which, when you're in twenty seventh, is is a huge jump already. And then, as other people started coming down, not getting anywhere near his time on that run, I was like, that was a special run. You know, a bit like his first run on Levy the other year. And I thought, you know what, hopefully that will now give him the confidence to really, really kick on this year, Um, and obviously we've we've, we've seen what happened since as well.
0: That race as a whole, if we put Dave to the side, was an amazing race i think from first place to 30th was 1.7 seconds on the first run on the first run yeah so the field was massively tight we had a bunch of guys coming from way outside the 30 booking themselves a slot on the second run Uh, and one of your one of your favorites had probably the uh, the biggest jump up in his start list to finishing position uh yeah, Ratzoli,
1: uh, former Olympic uh, champion from 2010. the twenty ten uh Whistler Games. I actually thought he'd retired because it had been so long <laughs> since we'd seen him. Uh, he went from bib number sixty nine and finished in in fifth place, um, and that was an incredible run. But he was just one of a number of guys that started from well outside. Alexander
0: Koroshalov, he has found himself outside the thirty. I think he started with bib fifty something or high forties at least. Booked himself a slot on the second run what about the two big guns of slalom racing out both straddling on the second run
1: yeah I mean at that by the time it got to that level I was quite content with those two coming down and getting faster overall times than Dave but I really wanted to see how his run compared to those two when they cut loose and then Christopherson didn't make it to the third gate and (laughs) she didn't make it to the sixth or seventh or whatever it was and it's not very often you see those two both, not necessarily break under the pressure, but just make kind of mistakes. Yeah, they, like you that don't
0: there. see mistakes from, certainly from uh, Hirscher very often. But I was, thinking, I was trying to work out why I think it happened. And what I think happened was it was a, a, an evening to night race. So in the first run was in the afternoon where the snow was a bit softer and therefore a little bit less grippy. And then obviously as the conditions got colder between the first and the second run and the skiing was the snow sorry was a bit more grippy so I think the skis bit a little bit sooner than they anticipated and I think the difference was a couple of degrees in snow temperature in what eventually unstuck the two biggest names in slalom skiing. Yeah
1: and they weren't the only people who, who messed up on that second run a couple of other fairly notable people crashed out Relatively early in the piece, so it was by no means everyone else flew down, and and those two guys had early straddles. There are a couple of uh, a couple other early mistakes on that run, but it was just so good to see Dave really lay down a marker and say, right, let's go. The season's on, which. Now we're into the new year and you're looking to uh, February and the world champs. Confidence is going to be sky high.
0: Uh, Daniel Yule taking the victory in Madonna. Amazing skiing from him. He's been skiing so quick now and we've just w- been waiting to see what he can really do. And I know we didn't see Hirscher or Christopherson finish, but Daniel is skiing really, really well. Marco Schwartz taking second place and Michael Matt taking the final step on the podium. So I think all round a quality field and a quality race. Yeah, I think that just showed just how good the field
1: can be. Just before Christmas, in the last podcast, we we said Marcel Hirscher just won a race by two and a half seconds in a GS, and then you said the first thirty are within a second and a half or one point six seconds on the first run. That's more what we're used to seeing people being that
0: close together. Let's have a quick look at the women's side of things. The women went and raced in Val Gardena after the men raced speed there. They had a super g and a downhill on the same track. And Ilka Stuhetz coming back with a double win after being away from most of last season with a knee injury. I think the course itself was a little bit tame. I think that we saw a horrific crash from Mark Gissin in Val Gardena as he crashed off the Camels. So you remember the Camels is yeah. a 50-metre flight. And he landed on his head. And I think the organisers were very much aware that this is a tough downhill and sent the women around the camels. But I think they probably erred a little bit too much on the side of caution. It wasn't the exciting race that it could have been. I think it was a little bit too watered down for the women. I think they, they could have had a few more risks take from the organisers, from the course setting, for them to allow it to be a little bit more daredevil race that we would have liked to have seen from the women's speed side.
1: Yeah, I mean th- these women know what they're getting themselves in for. You know, they're they're strong racers. They're exceptionally talented. They're you, okay. Yes, in some cases, they're not as big and strong as the men. But you know what? They're they're ski racers. They know what they're getting themselves in for. You don't design a mountain and say this one's just for men or this one's just for women. Um, when the, I was quite excited when the the uh, races were going across to there, um, I was excited to see how. The women's courses looked on that slope, so it was a bit of a, a bit bit of a shame to see it that way. We well,
0: started it quite a long way down as well, so it meant the first twenty seconds of that race, the girls were there was no speed, s- it doing was just, snail's was just, pace across yeah, the top just because it was so flat. It was like watching the top of and It was just like tuck, <laughs> tuck, 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 tuck.
1: But brilliant from Stu Hutch. Great to see her back. Um, we weren't sure if she would be uh, firing on all cylinders straight away, but you know, two wins in two days uh, will definitely bring your confidence right up.
0: So on, off the back of her double in Gardena, they went to Courcheval for a GS and a slalom, and Schifrin delivered her own double and took the win in the GS and in the slalom. It looked quite good. The slope looked good in Courcheval. They'd had some warmer weather again. They'd had a good bit of snow, and then it had rained, so the, the piece wasn't as hard and as icy as the women would have liked, but Schifrin delivering in GS.
1: Yeah, delivering all, all round uh, Schifrin. It was it was quite fun watching the races in Courcheval, uh, bringing back some memories um, of, of our racing days. Oh, yeah. We had a few few championships held there. Um, it's always quite an interesting uh, piece to watch the race on because the finish is, is relatively steep uh, and at the steepest point it's on a bit of a fall away. Just, just enough of one to catch people out, but Schifrin had, had no problems. And again, it was good to see Tessa Worley on the podium, uh, certainly in the GS. Uh, to give the French fans something to, to cheer about.
0: And in the slalom, Schifrin was first, Vlahova was second, Hansdotter was third. Schiffrin when she really turns it on can win races by a considerable margin now. Vlahova is is skiing really, really well.
1: Yeah Vlahova at this point uh was probably getting a little bit annoyed with coming second to Schifrin all the time. But there wasn't there's not a huge gap between her and everyone else coming behind her as well. So it seems like she's almost fighting off the likes of Hans, Dotter and Holdner for other places on on the podium, while simultaneously trying to find out what she's got to do to catch up with Schifrin when she she is firing like she is in, in the technical disciplines at the moment.
0: So all of those races happened before Christmas. Then we had Christmas Day, and on Christmas Day, the men's speed races went across to bormio they had their first training run on boxing day second training run on the 27th and they were again racing straight away 28th and 29th so a grueling schedule on bormio that piece was insane did you see how icy it was what a race i not
1: looking in the mirror um, <laughs> some of the shots you were getting from telly there was bits and pieces on the internet of course crew falling over and sliding for you know, 100-odd metres holding onto the nets while they were trying to put them in. And, you know, a lot of these course-coup guys are more than capable skiers and they could barely stand up. It was so icy. So seeing that happen just
0: made me just get excited, to be honest with you. you so watch the guys. I'm just like, I can't wait. This is going to be brilliant. I think that Bormio. We've had this discussion. I was having this discussion with Nick Fellows when we were on air uh, for the commentary. And Bormio, I think, is the hardest downhill on the World Cup track. It hasn't got the scary features that your Kitzbühel has, and it hasn't got the length that Vengen has, but it's got big scary turns, a good jump, and it's really long. And it's it's brutally hard, it's, it's top to bottom, there's no breaks at all. You have three seconds before you're jumping into the San Pietro. Which is, you're flying 50 metres, uh, and that's it. And it has the, all those turns right at the bottom as well. And the conditions were like concrete. It was so hard. And uh, Dominic Paris took the downhill win in front of his fellow Italian Christoph Innerhofer with Beat Voigt finishing in third. And they just, these boys got some stones. I
1: have no idea how strong you have to be to hold yourself upright for that long going down there with the amount of force going through. Uh, the the skis and coming back at you, let alone then absorbing all of the bumps and rolls and everything else and in this time of year, in seasons where there isn't much snow at the start of the year you're closest to the actual face of the mountain that you're ever going to get, so all the steeps are steeper, uh, you know all the jumps are further and then you see what they did to the snow in terms of just how absolutely bulletproof it appeared it looked amazing uh, watching those guys go down and terrifying at the same time and i think i asked you probably in, in either the first or second podcast right at the start of the year bormio looks the most exciting is it and i'm fairly sure at the time you said it's terrifying and <laughs> um, <laughs> i took that to mean the same thing
0: uh, <laughs> uh yeah well it is it is all of those things we had a couple of big crashes over the weekend in downhill clement cosy The Slovenian had a massive crash right at the finish after racing for a minute and 50 seconds and then just didn't have the strength left in his legs right near the finish and ended up unfortunately getting helicoptered off. But I spoke to one of his coaches who I used to race with. He said that evening, so he crashed at 11 o'clock in the day, that evening after being helicoptered off and going through that massive crash, he was back at the hotel again with a few grazes to his face, a broken nose, a missing tooth. But in terms of all his his joints and his knees and and, and concussions and stuff, the guy was fine and he was back at the hotel. Mental. Did did he want to know what his bib number was with the Super G?
1: (laughs) We know some people out there that
0: would still want to ski the next day. Well, yeah, you look at uh, Herman Meyer. He's not afraid of crashing and racing (laughs) the next day. But I think, uh, yeah, it it was an insanely tough piece. And then we saw it again the next day with Paris taking another win. So he did the double on home turf with Matthias Meyer finishing in second, just 100th behind, after it looked like Meyer had that one sewn up, and Alexandre killed her foot taking third place. Another gruelling day for the guys with those snow conditions, and, uh, and and Paris finishing off a nice weekend with a double win. Yeah, and another big crash
1: from uh, Stian Salgestad. Um a, a big crash again in the Super G, uh, and another long race pause, it's it's been it's been a tough year for for big crashes we had a chat about it before the christmas break about just how many crashes there've been it's looking dangerous out there this year
0: like everything these guys are pushing guys and girls are pushing incredibly hard all the time and you have to take risks you've seen it you can't ski at 95% you can't ski at even 99% and win unless your name's here or shifrin so yeah, uh, um, it, there just isn't the isn't the leeway to do that in racing, and I think that you know everybody's pushing super hard. Rewards are big. Well, what I found quite interesting in the in the super G was just how many people appear to
1: have real problems with their line. There were quite a lot of people really misjudging uh, some of the pieces. I think it was before uh, the the main jump in Bormio
0: quite a few, I think it was the, the Norwegians, all picked a strange line, and a lot of them lost a lot of time. Well, I think you make an excellent point. The Norwegians didn't have a good weekend, barring Ormot Kilder taking the podium. But, you know, Svindal, not a great weekend. He looked really nervous down there, which you haven't seen for a long time from these guys. But I wonder whether, you know, he's a much more experienced racer. He's, what is he, 36? Just Isn't he 36, 37? So he's just, he just celebrated his birthday. And I just wonder whether he is looking at the season as a whole. I don't know whether that's doing him a disservice, but he didn't, he looked like he was not skiing at his absolute peak. And the similar thing for Jansrud, uncharacteristically said he hit a rock in the downhill and fin- and, and didn't finish when he was going across Carchentino, which is the fall away gate. He said he hit a rock just there and lost grip on his outside ski. Uh, so he didn't finish the downhill. And then the same in the Super G, got his line was all over the place. And, and I think he's pushing hard because going from being Mr. Super G and, and being, you know, up there in downhills, winning overall downhill titles, and to this season, he's really struggled. It struggled by his standards, let's get, you know, it's not struggling yeah. by most people's standards, but by his own very high standards, he's not having a great season. And certainly in Bormio, Yansrud was pushing hard and certainly looked from the outside too hard. Yeah, so it it was quite strange to see that
1: contrast with Svindal looking tentative and Jansrud looking like he was being over-aggressive. Although you look at Paris's two runs and he looked like he was on some kind of crazed mission because he looked like he was giving it absolutely everything, giving the mountain no respect and also like he wasn't phased by anything coming back at him and possibly a bit of Uh, home mountain advantage there being being one of the Italian guys. Well,
0: they certainly have skied it before and more times than anybody else.
1: Exactly, and he he just looked unfazed by anything when you saw so many people either crashing or being tentative or being bounced around. I mean, Mm. some of these guys are absolute monsters and to see them be bounced around uh, in some of those bumps... Made me glad, again, that I never did any speed events, because I probably wouldn't have made it anywhere other than the
0: Nets. (laughs) And shortly after that, the women were racing in Semmering in Austria, where they had a GS and a slalom. Petra Vlahova taking hers and Slovakia's first ever victory in giant slalom, with Ravensburg in second, Tessa Wally in third. Schifrin down in fifth, which seems to turn up for the books at the moment. But in general, it's really nice to see another fresh face at the top of the women's tour.
1: Yeah, and we talked about before, Lehova spent a lot of time coming second to Schifrin, so it's really good for her to get that uh, one over on, on quite a big rival. And also you know, prove to herself that she's definitely got it. Yeah, she's won races before, but this year it was getting a bit repetitive with the second. So yeah, so she she has won races before, but it was a really big effort to to step up onto that uh top step of the podium for for G S and also beating Schifrin as as well makes a big difference. It wasn't Schifrin crashed, you know, she she came came down in fifth, So, overlaho knows that she can beat her in a race now. Uh and, and it was yeah, it was really good to see her on there. And and again Tessa Warley, jumping on the on the on the bottom step of the podium kind of keeping keeping her points total ticking along for the year yeah,
0: exactly she's been very consistent all season long she's taking podiums not top step podiums since the beginning of the season since Solden, but she's still ticking off podiums she's still keeping it racking over and when you're looking at a whole season again you're looking at consistency Similar for Ravensburg, again, that was her, her second podium in that in that kind of Christmas period uh,
1: in GS. So good to see her finding finding some form uh, and and really pressing along as well.
0: And Alex Tilley started the race in Semmering in the GS. She took Courcheval off. She had a bit of a back niggle and has been struggling a little bit with injury, which is a bit of a shame after early season form that she's had where she's been skiing really, really well. Not necessarily putting two great runs together, but doing some properly good skiing. Didn't make the second run, I think still feeling this injury. I spoke to Noel, her coach, and he was saying that they're really focusing in on GS now because of this little injury, this little setback. She only had two days training in the lead up to this since she hurt her back um, before Christmas. So uh, no second run for her, but the signs have been good in early season. So let's hope she can find that form again.
1: Yes, a bit of a shame she picked up the injury when she did, because as we've been talking, there's been quite a few technical races going on and... You really don't want to be trying to race flat out if you've got a a niggling injury. or something if it's in your your hand or something, it's not so bad. But your back is where a lot of the stability comes through and where a lot of the strains and absorption all kind of makes its way to your back. So it's a bit tougher if she is trying to race through it because you're not going to see her getting top fives If She's racing in pain, uh, and it it looked like that's the kind of direction she was going after having some a couple of strong finishes. So, hopefully, that can can clear up for her, and in the coming races, she can uh, you know be fit and firing and uh, show show us what she's got.
0: Michaela Schifrin back where we expect to see her in the slalom podium again, taking the win for Hover, second, holding the third. So, um, by the form book for slalom at the moment.
1: Yeah, pretty much. I think uh, again, shifrin You know, she is incredible. Um, it's 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 hard to see how someone's going to beat her in a slalom. The only time she really got beaten was in the was in the GS.
0: Okay, let's move on to Oslo. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> we've been dying to talk about this. Uh, and on the women's side, let's start with the women. The uh, Vlahova. Beat Schiffrin in the final. And then uh, Holden had taken the last step on the podium. And Vlahova had a very set strategy, didn't she?
1: Yeah, watching the race was really interesting. So when uh, the men normally race uh, parallel slalom specifically, they'll try and clear both gates together uh, as if it was a slalom race. Uh, whereas the women... ...tend to uh, ski more like it's a GS and clip the gates with their shoulders and forearms. Uh, Vlahova appeared to have had an incredible uh, tactic device, whether that was her and her coaches who came up with it... ...or, or someone from uh, within the camp that thought of it. On the straighter gates, for the first maybe four or five and last four or five that were very, very straight she adopted the tactic of clearing both of of the gates of the panel and then in the wider turns and over the roll she skied a more classic style Uh, and I don't know whether it's because she's a bit taller than some of the other women, she's got the ability to be able to come quite far inside without losing that balance on the outside ski or not but it really worked, you could see in both runs of the final they were either neck and neck or in the wider turn, Schifrin was was edging in front. And then as soon as those direct gates came in, Vlahova just came straight past her and opened up. Each run was about, about kind of half a gate, maybe a bit more with that more direct
0: line. Yeah, I do wonder whether it's due to the fact that Vlahova is quite a tall racer and so the fact that when you're double clearing, obviously normally when you're slalom clearing, you're only clearing one gate, but then you've got an, a meter inside is the other gate. So to be able to reach over to do a double clear for somebody that's taller, obviously you have to do less with your centre of mass, don't you? Because you can just move your arms. But a shorter racer, somebody of Schifrin's stature, or maybe some of the other ladies who aren't quite as tall as Vlahova, really struggled to maybe get across to be able to clear the inside of the of the double panel uh, without losing the outside ski and the the snow conditions in Oslo were really slick, weren't they? So the minute you didn't put full commitment through your outside ski and found that edge nice and early, well, you are going to lose your ski. So I think Vlahova tactically, very astute decision there from her and her team. It was incredible racing to watch. It was
1: at times, always it's really exciting, but sometimes because there's so much happening, you've got panels flying around, people skidding, you've got a roller where some people are, are getting a bit of air. Sometimes it's quite hard to see where some of the speeds coming from because you're so used to being able to focus in on what the feet are doing. But in with these races, where you've got two people to look at at the same time uh, and carnage on the piece, it's it's quite hard to actually see w- what's happening technically. So I just kind of sat back and
0: enjoy the the head to head nature of it. Yeah. Enjoy enjoy the madness i think it's a brilliant event i think it's really cool you can have it right in the city i'm waiting for london to step up i want want one in trafalgar square just let's have let's have one come on it's cold (laughs) enough let's build some snow we'll get some man-made snow get the snow center on it and get see if we can get a city in
1: london you imagine the petition you imagine the size of scaffolding
0: we'd need to have that (laughs) Um. there's a dry slope in aldershot that's half scaffolding i'm sure that they'll help with uh, the, the, how to devise it properly we can, we can get the army in yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, right let's talk about the men so marco Schwartz took the win after beating britain's dave riding who finished second after an amazing race and zenhausen finishing on the podium in third uh, just i thought this race was days for the taking i think he skied amazingly all through the competition Beating Feller in the opening round it looked like quite a tight race. Then defeating Marcel Hirscher, the most successful Austrian ski racer of all time, in the second round, which I think actually was a little bit more expected. I think that you know, you never you never expect
1: anyone to beat Hirscher, but if there was an event where you did think you might have a chance or Dave would have a chance. It would, it would be this, you know, that head to head background is something. Dave's probably got so much more experience in than Hersha coming from a, a dry slate background where dual slalom's a week in, week out part of your staple training and just having that person next to you. It's just a different kind of racing Um and, you know, after getting past one of the greatest ski racers that's ever lived, he then took out the Olympics slalom champion as well. So you can't say that the yeah. the, the draw favoured him in any way, shape or form. He, no, certainly he just not. beat everyone they put in front of him. Um, unfortunately, until Marco Schwartz took took the win in the end uh, with Dave Pushing Right to the line to try and make up the the deficit from the first leg of the final, and and was took the most outrageously straight line to try and get some back, and just
0: couldn't hang on. Yeah, I think it's in, I think it's really interesting. I think Dave is the best at these events, at the city event. I would back happily back Dave every time we come to a city event because he is so he's obviously a very talented slalom skier. Like all of the guys that get invited to do the city events are. But Dave, and that, again, we we might sort of joke about a dry slope background. Never joke about dry slope. (laughs) (laughs) But I honestly think that because he's done this week in, week out, as a kid growing up through his whole racing career, being on dry slope, looking across at somebody and realising that you have to beat the man standing next to you. You don't have to beat the course. You have to beat who you're looking at. And because Dave we've seen in slalom over the last couple of seasons with him, I think Dave's biggest hurdle for racing is tapping into his talent when it counts which i don't think we see from dave week in week out on the world cup tour and i think everybody would agree dave would agree that he doesn't bring his a game all the time and i wonder whether he comes to somewhere like this and that nature of head-to-head raw racing you versus me he can tap into his best slalom skiing and when dave's skiing at his best anybody is up for token
1: that's right and it, it, that might be the case i mean i it would be interesting to hear his thoughts on this to see if, if that is something he thinks about himself. But certainly there are some uh, young kids that I've coached where you put them on a timed run and they'll ski as hard as they can or as hard as they think they can and they'll get a certain time and then you turn it into a dual slalom uh, head-to-head race. And their times that having that person either just in front or just behind you or right next to you makes such a difference because it brings that competitiveness out of you that when you're alone on a course... You just don't, you don't have. Obviously, you see Marcel Herscher has something inside him that when he hits the wand, it's like he's racing the entire world. But when the person is standing next to them, they, Dave's that guy, and he, sh- and he showed it. Um, he, he skied in- incredibly all night long. Didn't quite have it in the final, but I guess that goes to show just how much depth the Austrians oh, have. Incredible. Because if you could say that you're going to knock out Manny Feller and... Marcel Herscher and Michael Matt will be out of the tournament by this time, you would not think an Austrian would still be the person no. beating you at the end of the day. You think oh maybe it would be Christofferson or or, or Pantro or one of the guys who's a bit more specialist at the at the city events or the dual events and it was still an Austrian there at the end
0: of the uh, day. Yeah, I think you're exactly right again. I think the Austrians have and I wonder whether it's a pressure situation, you know, the final of the city event, you you know, you've only got to beat one more guy to take the win. And I think the Austrians deal with pressure so well from such an early age because they have to. If you don't perform, you don't race the next race. And so the Austrians have this incredible pressure on their shoulders every single time they go out of a, a start gate, whereas the other nations maybe don't. You know, Dave's not worrying about his start if he doesn't perform Zenhausen isn't worrying about his start if he doesn't perform neither is Andre Murer. these guys don't have that same pressure the Austrians you have a bad day you're out son because there's about 50 of them who yeah. want to come and beat and who will take your spot so Marco Schwartz very cool under pressure didn't really make any mistakes during the final he made a couple of mistakes through the early rounds but still was able to clear his head and most of those mistakes were made on the first of the two legs of each of his races and then was still able to put down a solid run
1: yeah, he showed he showed great resilience early in. I think in in a lot of the his early round runs uh, on the first legs, he he actually lost, never by a huge amount. Sometimes a few hundredths, sometimes a tenth or so. But it showed that he was gonna be in the fight all night because every time he was down, he the, the next race he came back and did what he had to do to get through. And I guess what we were saying before about the taller athletes having a easier time clearing the panels, you know, nine foot tall (laughs) Zenhausen making up the podium. He 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 looked quite quite solid all night. He had a couple of lucky escapes where where people that he uh, was behind they crashed out in in his legs. But you know, again, uh, beating Mur in the third place playoff. You know, if you're if you're taking on the Olympics slalom champion and winning, you're doing something right. So exactly. I think
0: like, th- this race, another victory for Fizz, I think this is a brilliant event, and, uh, and long may they continue, as um, we'll, we'll get more this year anyway. Um, quick look ahead for Zagreb coming up this weekend, you've got men's and women's slalom. What do you think, what are we going to expect to see from Zagreb? Hopefully, a good piece with some snow, on it would be
1: nice. You know, there's really not much snow going on in in the Alps at the moment, so uh, hopefully Lee we don't have the problems we saw uh, before Christmas with with the uh, you know soft snow. Well, that's, there's nothing uh, these uh, racers hate more than really soft conditions. They 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 need it hard so they can really put the put the power down. Certainly in the men's, I want to see another day performance like the second run in Madonna. You know, he's had the fastest second run of anyone on that course and then he's just come equal to his best ever world cup result he's got to be flying high on confidence now and hopefully he can just put two runs together with that level of confidence letting it go and I'm picking day for the win yeah going for it going for it day for, for the win and what about on the women's side and in the women's side I think obviously Schifrin is is the heavy favorite but Hans Dotter is has been putting in some solid performances. You you could say Schiiffer and Vlahova are now favourites, but I think one of those uh, we said of those other names that are there or thereabouts. I think Hans Dodd is going to put in a put in a performance.
0: Again, it's hard to look past Schiiffer, isn't it? And I think down that course, it's as a long course. It's relatively flat, so it favours an athlete that's being very dynamic. And, and Schifrin is incredibly dynamic, isn't she? And I think, I mean, I really struggle to look past Schifrin for the win. But I, I agree that Vlahova, hopefully off the back of you know winning in Oslo, she can really push Schifrin all the way and Hansdotter's is going to be there. She likes it when it gets a bit icier. Hopefully it's going to be that on uh, the weekend. And on the slalom side, um, I'd love to see Dave win. But I think Hirsche is going to have a point to prove after, you know, he he doesn't go that well in in the city, in the dual events, in the city events normally. But I think Hirsche is going to end up coming back and taking the win. Do you know what? As a really outsidey outside bet. You say Zenhausen again? No. (laughs) No, No, he's got a broken thumb. What do you think about Razzoli?
1: Or... He's going from 69th to fifth to first. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I don't think he's going to come. I don't think he's going to come on the podium. But you know, it's flat and he's on good form, so he hopefully for him we will see another good performance. But I think I think is going to take the win again. I think
1: Hirscher. and then also we've got the women have a slalom in Flacq uh, as well shortly after.
0: I think it depends a bit on conditions, but I think really in reality, I think it's going to be another Schifrin domination. I'm going to I'm going to say that she's going to smash it this time. Uh, and I'm going to say Blahova. Blah, blah. uh, oh, I just yeah yeah, yeah just, <laughs> just so that somebody can
1: stop yeah. call her uh, Schifrin. Yeah, she won well, she won a couple races now. She's she's beaten her in a slalom. Yeah. Even if it was a head to head, she won a slalom, won a GS. She's on form. If she if she doesn't do it in Zagreb, then let's let's see if she
0: can do it in Flakon. All right, thanks for that, Ben. And uh, we'll look forward to the weekend's action. Till next time. Goodbye.